This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 31, How Do Bank Loans Work? Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast. I'm Mark Willis, your host, and with me in the studio today is our guest, our regular contributor, Katrina Willis. Hello. And Holly Bach. Hello, everyone. So credit scores, interest, loan origination fees, required repayments, mortgages, credit cards, student loans. Wow. It's just a a load of uh, debt in this country. And specifically, we're going to be looking at a small mini series of episodes focused on everything I just said, plus lots more, plus maybe even a way to actually use debt to your advantage. So that's what we're going to be focusing on here for the next couple couple of episodes. I'm super excited to be going on the journey with you guys. But let's just start at the very beginning like all good journeys, right? So Holly, break it down for us. What is debt? Yes. So uh, for the episode today, I wanted to focus a little bit more on bank loans in general and what debt is. And so debt is an amount of money that is borrowed by one party from another. Uh, It's used by many corporations, individuals as a method of making large purchases that they otherwise could not afford under their normal circumstances. So just, you know, by their normal cash flow, they wouldn't be able to afford it. So they're using this debt to be able to make that purchase that they otherwise couldn't afford. Um, It's an arrangement that gives the borrowing party permission to borrow money under certain set conditions that would be paid back at a later date, usually with some sort of interest. You know, the person that is giving you the money doesn't want to be doing it for free. Because if you think about opportunity cost, you know, why would they give you money for 0% when they could otherwise take it and even at least stick it in a savings account, get something for it? You know, so there's that trade-off. So certainly they're going to become, they're going to be charging something uh, for you to have the pleasure (laughs) of borrowing their money from them. Um, And so Katrina, what do you think are some some of the common beliefs around debt? Yeah, there's the first thing that comes into our gut is a judgment call about debt. It's like, okay, well, what do I believe about getting into debt or not? Um, what do common religions say? What do, like Dave Ramsey, for example, likes to say, the borrower is slave to the lender. And that's straight out of Proverbs in the Old Testament. So when you ask these questions, you know, you have to dig a little deeper into the meaning. If the borrower is slave to the lender, does that mean that all debt is evil? And that's a big question. Um, and, you know, if you look at the Proverbs and you look at Solomon, he highlighted sort of the power plays of those in authority, which was the, the money holders, and how they would exploit the people that they had power over. So, for example, um, they would basically put a family into slavery or buy out family members as slaves in exchange for sort of this nebulous emotional debt. Um, and, of course, Solomon saying the borrower is slave to the lender, you know, in mm-hmm. that context. Because um, they're literally slaves. Like, their whole lives have now been turned into being a slave. Mm-hmm. But when you apply that to 2018, to contemporary thought, we're in a totally different environment. 
Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit more about that today because the type of slavery that, that Solomon is referencing is this extreme form of lifelong service to repay this unspecified debt. We're talking about a limited payback schedule that's contractually set up for a specific type of debt. And those are different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, so even in the Old Testament, there was this thing called the year of Jubilee, mm-hmm. where every 49 years, every seven Sabbath years, uh, they would release the slaves. They would actually let them free. And uh, that was part of the kind of the arrangement. It was a really pretty uh, revolutionary idea all these thousands of years ago to have this sort of deadline where folks weren't in sort of some sort of intergenerational slavery. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, it's still, uh, I would say, we're back to intergenerational slavery right. with much of our debt today. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are more likely to be in debt if your parents were in debt and mm-hmm. your grandparents were in debt. Uh, you know, the upward mobility is uh, was um, a major part of what made America great, right? But now it's not exactly the most upwardly mobile country in the world. There's actually other countries where you're more likely to, if you were born poor, to make it to the affluent class. So, you know, if, you were, if we were just to make this super simple, uh, Holly, you brought up the idea of, you know, when someone, when you lend money to someone else, you're expecting a little bit of interest in return. Otherwise, why would you lend the money? Well, let's break it all the way down to like two people. If the whole world comprised of a creditor and a debtor, the, the truth of the matter is the debt would never be repaid. If all the money uh, on the, in the world and all the debt in the world was consolidated into two people, one creditor and one debtor, how in the world would the debtor ever repay the creditor? Because there's never enough money. How would, unless he's able to somehow like wave a magic wand and create extra, quote, interest, that interest had to come from somewhere. And so that ultimately means the debt never gets repaid, right? And so there we are. We're in this constant intergenerational slavery that never gets repaid. I know I'm sounding extreme here, but it does come down to religion. I mean, that's why I think Jesus talked more about money than just about any other topic. Uh, And funny enough, uh, we've kind of lost, I think, some of that edge in most of the religions in the world today. You know, money is considered something separate, something different than what we should be talking about at church or synagogue or wherever. But, you know, when you really come down to it, you're exactly right. It's about power. It's about the relationship of power between people. And if somebody is enslaving somebody else, isn't that evil, right? Isn't debt is all, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm asking this question to you in the room here. Is, is all debt evil? Well, I mean, when you look at the other scriptures throughout the Old and New Testaments, for example, there is a, a variety of scriptures that talk about debt, and it's largely negative. So, I mean, again, it's going back to the structure of power and overwhelming an individual into slavery. But you have to kind of take note about the fact that debt is on the net pretty negative. Um, so you know, what do we do with that? We know debt is an issue and it can cause a lot of trouble. Carrying large loads of debt can severely narrow your options. You know, Mark, you and I experienced this with student loan debt. Right. You know, we couldn't make moves. We couldn't take advantage of business opportunities. We couldn't. We were shackled. We were shackled mm-hmm. because we had all this debt. So, you know, it, if you want your lifestyle to be narrowed down for you and you need a pathway to walk on, get yourself some debt. You'll <laughs> severely limit your options. <laughs> what do I um, do with all this money? Let someone else decide it for me. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, so these extreme loads of debt, they, it just can feel like slavery, even in our day and age, as you were talking about, Mark. So then the question becomes, should we avoid all debt? You know, is it a, a black and white scenario? Um, and this is a question we get a lot, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, let's talk about it. 
Uh, I mean, what kind of debt does uh, America prefer? What kind of debt do typical Americans carry? You know, there's some real stark statistics. We did some uh, research on this. I mean, uh, we, you know, many Americans have credit card debt, but uh, how many people know that, you know, uh, the first credit card wasn't even issued until 1951, 1951, not even that long ago. Diners Club was issued uh, before credit cards. uh, Before that, you know, credit cards didn't even exist. So, like, how did people live? (laughs) How did we actually survive without this thing called a credit card, this plastic in our pocket? Uh, So the average American, every man, woman, and child has a credit card balance of $6,375. That's up nearly 3% from last year, according to Experian. And the average percentage on that debt is 16.4%. And pity the fool, uh, pity those that have the bad credit, uh, all the way up at 23.6%. That's, that's phenomenally high interest. If only our 401ks were guaranteeing us 23.6% <laughs> interest, right? The average household, so the mom and dad in the group here, uh, has a credit card balance of $16,883. This is a new form of debt. It's a new monster that's only appeared since 1951 and has really become a major problem, trillions of dollars. Total amount of credit card debt uh, reached its highest point ever recently, uh, surpassing $1 trillion in 2017, according to a, a report by the Federal Reserve. So credit card debts are massive. And yeah, one, Katrina. one thing there too is with credit cards, you're dealing with compound interest. You're dealing right. with the nastiest interest on the planet. So you know, if we're talking about debt as slavery, I don't know of another vehicle that's worse than credit cards. That's It stresses people out too, you know. Yeah. I mean, these are the credit cards that call you at dinner time at late late at night. They had to have their hands slapped multiple times due to regulations, the Fair Debt and Credit Reporting Act. Uh, you know, all these things are because of some of the collection practices of credit cards. Mhm. Well, and even now student loans have exceeded credit card debt as far wow. as the total amount of debt that Americans are carrying. So you mentioned, Mark, that credit card debt just surpassed $1 trillion in 2017, uh, but actually student loan debt totals $1.4 trillion. So student loans are above and beyond even credit card debt um, in America. And of the you know 40 million Americans, 40 million wow. <laughs> who have student debt, about 14% of all of those Americans owe more than $50,000. So that's nearly triple uh, the percent who owed that amount in 2000. So since 2000, we've tripled the number of people that owe $50,000 hmm. know, or more on their credit cards, or sorry, on this, for their student loans. Yeah. Um, and among one of the most recent cohorts, the group of borrowers who, en- who entered repayment in 2014, uh, nearly 18% owed more than the 50000 So one in five people basically had more than basically an, an annual salary, 100% of their <laughs> annual salary mm-hmm. owed to Sally Mae or one of her cronies. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, of those people that are making repayments on their student loans, a very, very high percentage of them just aren't able to make those payments, the payments mm, that are required. Yeah. I mean, if you have $50,000 of student loan debt, the payment yep. on that, if you're actually looking at a realistic re repayment schedule that's not going to last for 30, 40, 50 years. That payment is just so astronomical, people can't can't afford it. Um, Mm -hmm. And so they could end up defaulting. I mean, just bad news. This is uh, one of those gotchas because, you know, I I just met uh, someone earlier this week who's in her mid-60s and had to do about $80,000 of Parent PLUS loans to help her son through college. 
And the hope was the son was going to pay it off, but he became disabled. And so he's unable to work. After college, he you know, no longer is able to earn an income. So that's her debt. That is now her debt. And she's in her 60s, mid-60s, and has $80,000 to come up with on a very high interest. And so that's, that's about $900 a month that she doesn't have. And so her, essentially, her, she's resigned that this will never go away. I'll, I'll have to simply just carry this to my grave. And in fact, you, you cannot bankrupt student loans. So in that, in that effect, it's worse than a credit card mm-hmm. to have that student loan because you can't even go through bankruptcy and wash yourself clean of that mess. So yeah, it's a power struggle for sure. It's, it's not just about dollars and cents. It's about power and slavery and it makes the, the world go round, unfortunately, in, in the worst possible way. Bigger still is the mortgage debt that Americans carry. So according to NerdWallet, in 2017, the average balance of mortgages was right at $174,000. And according to a Harvard study, an estimated 39 million, maybe this is the same 40, was it 40 million or what was it? Yeah, 40 Maybe it's the same 40 million that has the mortgage too. But anyway, 39 million Americans, according to Harvard studies, uh, cannot afford the mortgage that they have. And 19 million people have more than 50% of their paycheck, 50% of their income going to just service the mortgage problem in their life. And that's really double what it should be. You know, yeah, we're looking yeah. at 25% mm-hmm. is a good yeah, rule Yeah, it's a good rule of thumb, exactly. Mm-hmm. For all housing, not wow. just paying the mortgage. So that's half your earnings. That's half mm-hmm. the day you're working for the, the bank that owns your house, not to mention your credit cards, your student loans. So <laughs> maybe you should work from home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right now, I've you know, it would feel like you're working under your home, like it's yeah. a burden on your shoulders for sure. So, when people yeah. you know, wonder why they why they can't save and mm-hmm. people wonder why they can't afford things. And it's like, well, if you're spending 50% of your income just yeah. on your mortgage, I mean, no wonder there's not enough to go around. I mean, just break it down from a, I mean, go back to budgeting and break down your budget by percentage. And it's like, well, 50% eaten away right off the bat with your mortgage payment, how much percents are left, you know, after that. I mean, you can maybe spend, you know, 20% on, you know, food, groceries, gas, that sort of thing. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, then you're left with just 30%. And it's, I mean, and then you've got your car payment, you have your debt payments, other, you know, credit card payments on top of that. And I mean, it's just can get eaten up so quickly if you're wrapping up 50% right away. It's it's, uh, money out the door. Some people wonder, well, you know, I don't even see, you know, it's just like, you know, the, the dollars come and the dollars go, and the only thing that changes is the people who's got claim to it, basically. Uh, so, yeah, you know, while mortgage debt is usually considered good debt, even that, a third of all Americans are, aren't able to save, just like you mentioned, Holly. And they say that's a major reason. Housing is the major reason why they can't put away for the future. Yeah. And in America today, getting a bank loan for a piece of property would never result in a person having to sell himself into slavery to pay his debt as we see p- pictured in the ancient texts we were talking about earlier. Um, and you see this in the Old Testament over and over in like Second Kings and Nehemiah, uh, where they're, they're selling themselves or their children. And, you know, if, if, if you don't pay your mortgage, you got issues. That's another thing. But you're, you're probably going to be alive and mm-hmm. able to still do your current job. And <laughs> your life won't be fundamentally altered from the foundations. Um, that said... You know, if you do take on any debt, whether it's a mortgage or student loan debt or a credit card or, you know, policy loans or whatever you're taking, you want to read that fine print. You know, you want to look in, in that contract that we've got in place because if you're, if you're missing something where you do end up having your life foundationally changed because you signed it away, 
<laughs> uh, that's a problem. So be sure to read it, and I would recommend get a second set of eyes to read it. Maybe that's an attorney, maybe it's another family member, just to make sure you didn't miss anything. But debt is a very powerful dynamic. So you want to make sure that you're get engaging in um, a dynamic that is beneficial to you and that you're comfortable with. So tell us a bit about uh, car loans. Uh, uh, Holly, this is one other piece of the puzzle that's recently come on to the you know, mainstream American scene. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of seeing the same story <laughs> over and over and over again, you know, with the credit cards, with the mortgages, with the, um, with the student loans. I mean, people are just taking on more and more debt. So U.S. car buyers are now taking on, you know, larger amounts of debt, larger uh, car loans than they ever were in the past uh, so that they can buy, you know, pricier, more expensive cars than they were before. Um, in fact, just last month, borrowers took out uh, $31,000 on average in auto loans. And with that, you know, $31,000 auto loan comes a monthly payment of about $517. Wow. So $517, again, you know, put that on top of your mortgage, yeah. add that up, that's going to be a good chunk of your paycheck. One for the spouse as well, right? That, you know, most families now have more than have one car two. loan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. So boom, there's $1,000 a month, you know, just in, in those two cars. And that is the highest amount on record so far this year. So wow. that's, you know, we're, we're exceeding new highs, but not good highs. Not good highs, yeah. Yeah. here in America. Um, and, you know, not only are we buying nicer and nicer cars, taking out larger and larger loans, but also it's taking us longer to pay those loans off. So, you know, back in the day, you know, the, the car loan, you would, it would be very common to get a, you know, 48 month, you know, four year, maybe a five year auto loan. Well, now we're starting to see six year repayment periods or seven year, mm -hmm. you know, uh, mm -hmm. auto loans to pay them back. And so the, the six year repayment plan though is the longest uh, since uh, 2002, you know, since we started kind of tracking that, that sort of data. So, so you were, yeah. So you were bringing up how all of this is basically just uh, already spoken for money. Uh, does America have anything left to save after all these debts? I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, that's why we see uh, kind of that, that savings crisis um, in our country. And so um, the, the average American personal savings rate, according to the St. Louis Federal Reserve, is 2.6 percent. Hmm. And that's as of November of, of 2017. Wow. So just this last fall. And that's actually dropped since 2008. We had a low, I mean, it's the lowest it's been since the Great Recession of 2008-9. Uh, our savings went way up as the recession hit. We started freaking out and paying down debts and stuff. And as the economy has recovered, well, what do you know? We're back to our own patterns again. Mm -hmm. Back down to the lowest savings rate ever. Wow. Yeah. In contrast to the 34% of debt load. Yeah. So you got 34% mm -hmm. debt and then 2.6% savings. So, so Katrina, you know, if, if debt is this problem and you brought it up, I think made the point so well, um, is paying cash the solution? Uh, the truth is you finance everything you buy. So you either pay an interest to the bank or you pass up interest you could have earned on your money had you left it invested instead. Okay. So either you pay interest to a bank uh, out the door, like we've been describing, or anytime I pay cash for something, you're saying I pass up whatever I could have earned had I not bought the the lollipop or the you know Aston Martin or whatever it was I needed to pay cash for. Right, and you have the inflation hit of whatever inflation is. You know, it's yeah. knocking it down by that many percentage points when you're using cash. So it's a super tough choice because you know we need stuff in life. I mean, it's not like we can just go through life and not buy 
you know, the, the stuff of life. Our kids still need to go to college. We still need to get to work on four wheels somehow. And so, mm-hmm. I'm not down in cash yeah. because emotionally when you spend a dollar versus swiping a dollar on your card, mm-hmm. you feel yeah. that dollar. You know, and same thing with $100. That, that swipe will feel just like that dollar did when you buy 100 mm-hmm. So it's very important to use cash when you can, but don't finance using cash. The green stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, and I would say that, you know, for the most part, most financial planners don't have a plan for their clients to buy those things that are all necessary, all needed. Every kid needs braces. All, all kids need to go to, you know, college someday. Here's hoping. Uh, but how do we do it? There's very little in the way of advice for most financial planner and financial planning firms that I've seen out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so just buying your cars. Let's say we just kind of calculate the cost of even just paying cash for cars. You know, if you had a $25,000 vehicle that you bought every couple of years, you and maybe your spouse bought a car. So let's say you bought eight cars over the rest of your lifetime. And maybe you took a couple of vacations. All right. So hopefully with all this bad news that we're sharing. Hopefully you still get to see a beach every so often, uh, not just on the back of a credit card application. Uh, So the $5,000 vacation uh, that we all hope for, the bite the bullet kind of vacation, let's say you do 12 of those over your lifetime, that would be at just a raw cost of $260,000. And to get that with no interest earned, you'd have to be saving for yourself to pay cash for these, you'd have to save $361 a month over your lifetime, basically over 60 years. Uh, to be able to buy these cars and vacations and then spend the money and then save it up again. Financing, of course, would mean it's a lot more expensive to buy the same cars and vacations. Over that lifetime, at a cost of 10% interest, that's going to be 365000 bucks. That's more than hundred grand of just pure profit uh, to, to buy it on the other side of your purchase. In other words, if you go into debt first and then pay your debt off to the credit card or to the auto loan, that's sort of like saving on the other side of the purchase, right? So you're still saving. It's just after you've been running the car down into the ground uh, or after you're back from vacation, right? Rather than the thrill of spending the money, uh, you're doing it on the other side of the purchase. That's a hundred grand for the privilege of being in debt. Uh, So a total of $365,000. So a hundred thousand dollars just on cars and a couple vacations. Right. Yeah. Not to mention the 260,000 of the just sticker price for those those purchases, right? Mm -hmm. So just paying cash at 260 grand uh, if you had been able to invest that money and just took the bus and never went on, on vacation, over 60 years, that would be $1.5 million that you would have for your retirement. Hope you liked the stinking vacation, right? <laughs> uh, so, All 12 of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's a lot of money that you miss out on just by buying cars and vacations, right? So most financial planners have no plan for that money that you have to spend on cars and things like that. Uh, and they'll ask you to scrimp and save uh, on live on rice and beans, uh, so you don't enjoy that stuff of life and you can get from retired to dead without running out of money. And by the way, they'll typically put all your money into assets you can't access. And if you need it for emergencies, you got to pay a bunch of penalties and taxes to get it out. And you can't control the money because it's tied to the stock market. Do I need to go on? I mean, that just sounds <laughs> so like a life example of... example where loans are non-existent. <laughs> so that's a life of misery. And in my opinion, it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, where is it written that has to be that we have to live this life of debt and, and roller coasters in the market? So take a moment, everyone, and think about your income. Think about that number you'll make this year. Now multiply it out by how many more years you might have until you retire. Everyone's going to have a different number, but let's say you make 70 grand a year and you're 35 years old. With no pay raises, no factor, factoring in no pay raises, that's $2.1 million that you'll earn. All right, where did all that money go? 
over your lifetime. If most Americans arrive at retirement dead broke, where did that $2.1 million go? Well, you have millions of dollars that you can expect to have flow through your fingers over your lifetime. So how does the average American have almost nothing to show for it? I think, my personal belief, is it's all coming from this stuff of life. Kids college, buying cars, down payments on homes. And the reason why most Americans are strapped financially is they've been lulled into putting wherever, whatever they can, that 2.6% Holly mentioned, into things that they can't access, illiquid assets. Go back to our toolbox episode on liquidity for that. Uh, Wall Street has been reaping some handsome rewards on the AUM fees, and banks have been reaping handsome rewards, charging us Americans high interest rates on our credit cards. Wow, what a sucker deal we're in, right? So that stuff of life will cost us millions of dollars, and it's a question of why you know, most people go through life wondering where all their money goes. Uh, so we keep breaking that compound interest. Every time we buy something, we're losing that growth that we could have had on the money, like Katrina was talking about. So yeah, as, as mentioned, not to put too fine a point on it, but most financial planners do not have a plan for pay, to pay for this stuff of life. But that's where we come in. We really specialize in the whole of life. Forgive the pun there, guys. Uh, but not only will it help you grow and protect your wealth through your golden years, but all throughout the years of your life, you'll be able to use these dollars. Uh, and you know, we believe that solves the problem of debt that most Americans are really wrestling with. I mean, it's like La Brea tar pits out there. Uh, so, you know, we've got to buy stuff. What's the best way to do it? Mm-hmm. When I just feel like that that point can't necessarily be glossed over too much mm-hmm. in this. The fact that you know it's it's all about where you're putting your money and and what it's doing for you with where you're putting it. And this dynamic that we've gotten into this routine of putting our money into places where we can't access it, and that's what's forcing us to have to go into debt. Yeah, you know. And so it's like everyone's telling you, and all the advice out there is put your money in this, put your money in that. Oh, but don't touch it for fifty years. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you know, sometimes it's not because people don't have any savings. They just don't have any savings that they can get to. Right. And so then when that flat tire, that flat tire does come, the braces come, mm-hmm. that's what they're putting on the credit cards. You know, they're putting, they're putting things on the credit cards that if they could have access to their savings in some fashion without some huge penalty or punishment for it, that they might have done that instead and they wouldn't be carrying all this astronomical debt around. Yeah. But instead, you know, we're forced into this crazy cycle where, again, everyone's everyone's benefiting from your money, but you. Yeah. You're you know, last in line for it. Yeah. Mm. Your savings is benefiting Wall Street and your everyday today spending you're putting on credit cards is benefiting the banks. And, and know, what do you have to show for it? Nothing yeah. when you get to retirement. And even Congress takes a withholding from your paycheck before you even see it, right? That wasn't the case before the income tax of 1913. So it's, it's all, it's, it truly has become a last in line kind of scenario. Now, so Holly, Let's wrap this up here with a few final thoughts. What if you could somehow avoid buying all that stuff in the cycle of your life and invest all that money instead? You know, what if, what if somehow we could find a way to have uninterrupted compound growth? Uh, and, and I'd like to say, you know, what if instead of just foregoing, it's not an either or, in my opinion, but with our strategies that we teach our clients, it's a both and. So how could we finally find a way to get that uninterrupted compound growth on that whatever it is, 2.1 million, and still be able to pay for the stuff of life. 
Mm-hmm. Well, we, you know, maybe we could learn a little bit mm. <laughs> from some of these people that are profiting from us yeah. throughout our entire lifetime. So look at the bank. You know, what are they doing? Mm-hmm. You know, what are they doing with their money? Well, they've clearly found a way that they can get their money doing more thing, you know, more things, uh, more than one thing at a time. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, at once. And so what do you think happens when you take that dollar, you put it into the bank? Well, well, wait a minute. You, you're telling me they don't just leave it in a vault somewhere? No. Nope. Oh, oh, no, okay. they don't. It's not just sitting there waiting <laughs> for you to collect it again. It's not in a shoebox? So, okay. No, nope, no. Nope. <laughs> um, they're going to you know, take that money and they're going to loan it back out to someone. Okay. And so if you deposit, you know, let's just say $1,000 into your savings account at the bank, it's not sitting in that vault, Mark. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Sorry to say it's not sitting there. Um, they're actually going to immediately put that money to work. Uh, it's called fractional reserve banking. Um, and so of that $1,000, they're going to give roughly $900 away to someone else in the form of a loan. So you come in, you deposit $1,000, someone comes in behind you, wants a loan for something, they're going to turn around and give it to them um, as a loan. What a deal for the bank. Wow. <laughs> well, yeah, especially when you think, what are they paying you? You know, 0.0001%. And what are they charging <laughs> on that loan? Yeah. And I mean, depending upon the type of loan, I mean, they could be charging, you know, 15, 25%. Uh, if it's a credit card, it wow. could be, you know, 8 10% if it's a car loan, wow. you know, a little bit less if it's a mortgage. So I That's mean, not even the bank's money. How can they even do that? Yeah. Well, they figured it out. Someone figured it out. Mm, yep. <laughs> yeah. And so that's how, you know, that's why, that's how the banks get so wealthy, you know, and that's how the banks have been able to benefit uh, from us, you know, every, every step of the way. Yeah. So, all right. So why, why, de- why admit defeat? You know, if we're in so much trouble as a nation uh, because of banks, What's the solution? If banking is the problem, I'm going to make a recommendation to our listeners. Bring the banking back home. Bring it back to you. Uh, Bring it in-house. You've been outsourcing banking for thousands of years and look where it's got us. Let's bank on ourselves. That's the whole point of this whole strategy that we recommend to our clients where there's something better maybe than being debt-free. You know, maybe there is something better than being debt-free. What's better than being debt-free? Being the banker. That's the best thing ever. I mean, you just described a thousand percent rate of return just for using someone else's money. I mean, that's incredible. Uh, And so we're going to talk some more about that in future episodes, guys. Uh, But for now, we're going to wrap this episode up and we can't wait to show you what's next. Uh, So thank you for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.